Greetings in the name of Christ and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks unity in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ by his word through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the book of Concord. As Peter boldly confessed, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We boldly confess the truth of the entirety of God's inerrant word, nothing more, nothing less. And we do it all for the sake of a clear conscience in Christ for you. I'm your host. Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Last week, we concluded our fifth study on justification in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, which continually reminded us that we are justified through faith in Christ's cross and resurrection alone. And one of the cool things is that as we've gone through the Augsburg Confession, now into the Apology, that even if you're talking about something else, for example, today, good works, it always goes back to justification. So today, as we begin another important topic, we go to good works, or as it says here, very appropriately, I think, love fulfilling the law, the fifth article. We will commonly hear that Lutherans, people will say, don't focus on good works enough. So is that something true? Is that what our confessions say? And more importantly, is that what scripture says? We hear Jesus clearly say, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. How does that fit with faith? How does that fit with all of us as the baptized? And what does it look like for us today? So let's get into it. Open up your Bibles and open up your book of Concord and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the apology, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ, we have with us today the Reverend Dr. Leonard Payton, pastor of St. John Lutheran Church in Forest Park, Illinois. Pastor Payton, welcome back to Concord Matters. Oh, thank you. Good to be with you again. You know, Pastor, I'll just say this quick moment here is, it's been a long time since you've been with us. We were back when I started um, on Concord Matters with the preface to the small catechism. So um, it's great to have you back and, and speaking about a very important topic today. Now, Pastor, as we look at this, let's just dig in. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Let's right. go. Let's go for it. We are in the reader's edition of the Book of Concord from Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions from Concordia Publishing House. Article 5, page 102, which is the title, Love Fulfilling the Law. So we'll start with the note. Good works do not cause justification. Rather, they are the result of justification. Melanchthon carefully distinguishes between the effect of the law before a person is justified and the effect of the law after a person is justified. Rome had garbled these critical biblical distinctions with disastrous consequences. Melanchthon returns to them constantly, writing the longest article in the Apology. Lutherans believe that Christians improve at keeping the law and they require good works. However, good works are not necessary for salvation, but are the necessary fruit of salvation. Justification is not merely an initial grace, but the entire reconciliation we receive from God for Christ's sake. While the law always accuses us, any beginnings we make at keeping God's law pleases him only because of faith, which holds on to Christ. This is important discussion of faith and works proceeds with absolute clarity. Melanchthon goes right to the heart of the matter by stating, 
that we can never pit our works against the wrath and judgment of God. Only Christ, our mediator, can stand for us in our place, take God's wrath and punishment, which we deserve, and win for us eternal life, joy, and peace. Pastor Peyton, as we begin, and these powerful words we hear as a, as a perfect summary of our time, uh, Pastor, do, do Lutherans uh, deny good works? Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, we, we have a vibrant uh, doctrine of good works. Luther talked about it all the time, often in his uh, discussion of, of vocation. You know, we're all given different uh, vocations. Uh, we, we actually have a constellation of them. So, for example, uh, you're a district president, you're a pastor, you're a husband, you're a father, you're a neighbor. And, and, and in all of those cases, uh, you're relating uh, to people uh, by your works. We relate to one another by our works. Uh, you, you can think of that as a horizontal line that we relate to God, however, by grace. Uh, so, so, yeah, works matter a whole lot because they're how God uh, uh, fills out his, uh, his providing of daily bread for the world and, 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 and keeping order and all, all of those really good things. Uh, they ju they're just not how we have our relationship to God. Justification is how we have our relationship uh, to God. I think about this too, and it's a good. It's always a good passage for us to quote when we talk about Ephesians, you know, mm -hmm. two, eight, and nine. And I don't know any Lutherans that would deny verse ten, but sometimes we talk as if they were. And this mm -hmm. is the passage we continually say: "For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing; it is a gift of God." As you mentioned about justification, not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Pastor, can you just give us a little bit of a, uh, uh, that passage there, I think captures everything we see in Article 4 and Article 5, and for our listeners, um, to keep all of that in the right distinction or the right mode of how we see theology, how we live our Christian lives, can you kind of give us just a little bit of why this is an important passage as we look at all of what we're looking at in these articles? Sure. It, if you look at those three verses right there in, in short order, verses 8, 9, and 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, uh, the, the, the relationship is established first, and it's established by grace. And, and, and then you find that coming out of it uh, into the life of grace, that even before we were born, uh, God set up all kinds of good things to happen that we get to do. And, and, and those are good works, but we're not saved by them. They, are, uh, they, they, they really are gifts uh, to us and, and to the world. Uh, so, so in a sense, the good work, uh, even the good works world for the Lutheran is nothing but a gift from God. As we once begin, we are on page 102. We uh, now get to the confession, Article 5, Love Fulfilling the Law, number one. On this topic, the adversaries quote against us. If you would enter life, keep the commandments, Matthew 19. Likewise, it is the doers of the law who will be justified, Romans 2, and many other things about the law and works. Before we reply to this, we must first declare what we believe about love and the fulfilling of the law. I'll put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, Jeremiah 31. 
Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Romans 3. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Matthew 19. But if I have not love, I gain nothing. 1 Corinthians 13. These and similar sentences testify that we are to keep the law when we have been justified by faith, and so grow in fulfilling the law more and more by the Spirit. Furthermore, we are not talking about ceremonies, but about the law that addresses the movements of the heart, namely the Ten Commandments. Faith brings the Holy Spirit and produces a new life in hearts. It must also produce spiritual movements in hearts. The prophet Jeremiah shows that what these movements are when he says, I will put my law within them and will write it on their hearts. Jeremiah 31. Therefore, when we have been justified by faith and regenerated, we begin to fear and love God, to pray to him, to expect aid from him, to give thanks and praise him, and to obey him in times of suffering. We also begin to love our neighbors because our hearts have spiritual and holy movements. Now, I'm going to start this way, Pastor, is first of all, it's great that that Melanchthon, of course, he does throughout this whole time, is he begins with the word of God. So this is good. We're in a good place. But he uses language here that is a little bit foreign. Actually, it's kind of, it, it, something that we will hear in 21st century America, but I think it's a little bit different. For example, um, but if I have not love, I gain nothing. Boy, we have a whole different perspective on love. Also, it talks about movements of the heart and spiritual movements. You can hear that, and that can be severely different, differently interpreted in today's culture. Can you break down these first four paragraphs and what he's recapturing in these words? Sure. Well, let, let's let's start with that that idea of love, uh, the way the, uh, the the apology uses it, and the way our Lutheran theology generally uses it. Um, so if you look there right at the end of uh, point four, we begin to love our neighbors because our hearts have spiritual and holy movements. Uh, love is not, is not simply that you're sitting on your couch in your living room and you think about your neighbor next door and you think warmly and fondly of them. Uh, but, but that's the main way that we use that word uh, in our time. Uh, you know, and particularly as we say, approach something like Valentine's Day, and 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 you think, you know, my heart rate goes up a little bit when I think about a certain person. But but when our when our confessions use the word love, um, it it's almost a synonym for works. It's things that you're going to do that are good for the other person. That and, and if you want a strong. Um, example of this there's that uh, that really that aphorism in first john chapter four we love because he first loved us well what did jesus do when he loved us he didn't sit and think fondly about us he gave his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering and death so so when we love it's a matter of doing what the neighbor needs that's good for the neighbor so so Love, again, just to reiterate, love is is really a synonym here for works, for good works. And they are good works, to be sure. Now, um, can, can I back up here a little bit? Uh, mm -hmm. Because when Melanchthon launches into this, uh, he quotes from Matthew 19 and Romans 2. And... 
and, and he's really responding to an argument that's already come at him. A, a, a kind of a couple of gotcha verses, if you will. So, so you can tell that the adversaries, the, the, um, well, well, okay. So here's the deal. The Augsburg confession was read out loud in June of 1530, uh, before the Holy Roman emperor, Charles V, who would summon these guys from really from Northern, North, Eastern Germany, you know, you, you rabble rousers up there. What is it that you're teaching? We need to make sure that it is uh, truly Catholic. And so they showed up and they wrote the Augsburg Confession and read it publicly, at which point uh, uh, the, the Pope's uh, scholars and theologians uh, got together and wrote what's called the Confutation. Now, the Confutation uh, was, uh, was read then publicly to these Lutherans, uh, but they were not given a copy of it. Uh, instead, the Lutherans uh, suspected that this would occur, and so they brought along uh, several professional stenographers who wrote it down as fast as they could. Um, and, and the content of the confutation was this. We've heard your Augsburg confession, but you're off your rocker. You need to get with the program here and come back to Holy Rome and do what Rome is saying is right, which is you're saved by your works, uh, which, by the way, we regulate and, and, uh, and charge fees for. So, so the apology here is really uh, uh, a, a long scholarly response to that. Melanchthon was a brilliant humanist scholar. And, and so you can see here that right at the beginning, I mean, Article 5 of the apology is the beating heart of the whole apology and indeed really of the whole Book of Concord. And so right up front, Melanchthon has acknowledged that these guys who wrote the confutation momentarily got out the Holy Scriptures and cherry-picked a couple of verses that they thought uh, were gotcha verses, where, you know, we can shut these guys up with these two verses here. Uh, if, you would keep, if you would enter life, keep the commandments, and uh, it is the doers of the law who will be justified, from Matthew uh, 19 uh, and 17. And, and so... Uh, Melanchthon is now going to pick that apart uh, slowly and carefully and, uh, and forcefully, really. And so as we look at these, um, this, this language, it really is as simple as you said, is um, that they said, we are not saved by our works. People in the church were like, but that's not that easy. We should have some point of this. Um, at least give me some love, because it's in the Bible, and I like the word love, or whatever you want to say. And so what you're really saying, and you see this throughout the Augsburg, for example, in uh, Article 20, which uh, Pastor Peyton and I discussed beforehand, that it's good works, but three-quarters of it is talking about justification by faith. Because the moment we start talking about good works, we instantly start looking within. That's why when they use the heart language, it's almost like, not only did I do this, but it doesn't make, in our world today, does it make my heart feel good? And Pastor, what's an important, as it says, even the heart language, I want to hear your thoughts on this, is it talks about the heart language. How can I get 
get really become a problem for today mm-hmm. as we talk about good works. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Again, in much the same way that uh, that we have a very different usage of the word lo- uh, love today, we also have very different usage of the word heart. Um, the the heart is here in the uh, apology is really maybe that part of you which you are least alert to, but which most defines you. So the movements of the heart that are mentioned there, um, say in at the end of point four, are are the actions that happen that that you just do because of who you are. And you do those because you've been changed, because you've been justified. You're free. You're, you're free to serve anyone because you're perfectly free. And, and where, whereas when we think about the heart, it's, it, it's kind of self-absorbed. We think, you know, how am I feeling right now about this situation or this person? And so how am I reacting? And uh, the, the biblical language and certainly the confessional language is almost the polar opposite to that. And so, Pastor Peyton, as we as we move forward, these this beginning, I think, resets the table for us in a, in a beautiful way. That we we very clearly it says, therefore, when we have been justified by faith and regenerated, we begin to fear and love God, to pray to Him, to expect aid from Him, to give thanks and praise Him, and to obey Him in times of suffering. I love that that part, which is just a number at the end of number four. It, because he speaks about Ten Commandments, and here's something I've noticed in our culture today, is that sometimes we wonder, how do I know I'm doing a good work? Um, and then you start thinking, well, that made me feel good, therefore it's a good work. Um, right. Here it talks about the Ten Commandments, and what would your encouragement be for our listeners is, how do I even know if I'm doing a good work, or how are we supposed to see that in a faithful way? Well, you know, the Ten Commandments are really good a really good grid, a really good template, if you will, and and so you can you you can look at your works and say, are they um, are they in accord with the Ten Commandments? Uh, oh, here's a here's an extension of that. Is what am I is what I am doing helping my neighbor live within the Ten Commandments? See, here's here's the deal about the Ten Commandments. In, in 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 Exodus chapter twenty, uh, when the Lord gave them, uh, and, and by the way, that verb is very useful. It's not, um, it's not so much I'm commanding you these; I'm giving you these. He's giving them a good life. He's giving them the life that is that 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 fits the universe that He's created. So things go really. Well, you know, when you honor your father and your mother, you tend to live longer in the land. It's that kind of thing. So I, so do I, do I want the, do I want my neighbor to live according to the 10 commandments? Uh, of course, because I want the good life for him. 
Is that getting it a little bit at what you're looking absolutely. for? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. It is. And it really is something like when we went back to like when you and I started together on Concord Matters, you go to the Ten Commandments and it not only says you shall not, but then this is what you should, but mm -hmm. help and support him in every physical need. Um, and husband and wife love and honor each other, but help him improve and protect his possessions and income. And the, the beauty of this is the understanding of it is uh, uh, we know we didn't do it. The law always accuses. Right. Mm -hmm. And we repent. We receive that forgiveness. And by the Holy Spirit's help, we do these things. So mm -hmm. when when you love your bride, Lori, um, you're fulfilling that commandment. And hopefully when I'm loving my bride, Amy, we're fulfilling that commandment and, and go through that list and say, this is what you've done. And, and you know what, who still gets the credit, all thanks and glory be to God. So what I notice a lot is how many times people will look and think, well, I did a good work today because basically the feelings, but I love how once again, Melanchthon and the Concordians and Luther were so focused on what does God's word say? Nothing more, nothing less. And where to find our comfort always goes to the good works of Christ. So I want to make sure we, we're all together on that. So Pastor, anything else you want to highlight in these few first few paragraphs? Um, yeah. Uh, oh, we're not there yet. We're, you're not yet to point nine and beyond, are you? We're not. Let's get okay. to that. Let's get okay. to that. Okay. Uh, actually, you know what? While we're at it, just, this sure. is just worth noting here. Um, right at the end of, of point seven, you mentioned it, uh, the law always accuses. This is why the law is such a fragile thing for us to handle carefully, because even when we're talking about good works, um, you, you know, our, our consciences, if we're alert to them are always telling us, you know, you really didn't quite pull that off. You, you really didn't do that quite as well as you could and should have. Mm. So, so the presence of the law that always accuses us, and it's a good thing that we have a mediator at the right hand of God always defending us. Thanks be to God. Let's, let's keep moving forward here. Uh, we're on page 102, number five at the bottom of the page. These things cannot happen until we have been justified through faith and regenerated, we receive the Holy Spirit, First, because the law cannot be kept without Christ. Likewise, the law cannot be kept without the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is received through faith, as Paul declares in Galatians 3.14, that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Also remember, how can the human heart love God while it knows that he is terribly angry and oppressing us with earthly and endless distress? The law always accuses us. It always shows that God is angry. God is not loved until we receive mercy through faith. Not until he does, he became come someone we can love. Civil works, i.e. our works of the law, can be done in some measure without Christ and without the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, from what we have said, it seems that we belong only to the divine law, i.e. the heart's affections toward God, which are commanded in the first table cannot be done without the Holy Spirit. But our adversaries are fine theologians. They focus on the second table and political works. They don't care about the first table. They act as though the first table were of no matter. They certainly require only outward fulfillment of the law. They in no way consider the law that is internal and placed far above the sense and intellect of all creatures. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Pastor, there's a lot of questions, you know, first table, second table. I would would consider this a little bit of snark. Our adversaries are fine theologians. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, So there's a lot of fun stuff here. Where do you want to begin? Well, again, a reminder, the first table is how we relate to God. You shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember uh, the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So th- that is a that is a vertical relationship, whereas the second table is all about how we relate to our neighbors, beginning with honoring father and mother, and, uh, uh, and not murdering, not committing adultery, not stealing, not coveting, uh, not uh, not uh, slandering our neighbor. Um, and and it's true you can you can take a pretty good. Um, accounting of yourself and how you relate uh, to your neighbor some people can at least i'm i'm i'd be a little sloppy on this but i think there are people who probably do live really good lives according to the uh, the fourth the tenth commandments uh, but the moment you turn to commandments one through three which uh, which are summarized in deuteronomy chapter six you shall love the lord your god with all your heart uh boy uh that that no one no one fulfills that law we we're we're always failing at that one somehow because uh, god is simply the source of all good and the moment we look to anything else for our good um we've immediately violated the first commandment we're violating the, it's really every violation of the Ten Commandments is somehow a violation of the first commandment. Uh, if I if I murder my neighbor, for example, uh, I'm saying that this world would be a better world without this person that God created. And so I'm I really defy God at that point, saying, "I really I'd be a better God than you would." I don't know what what business you had in creating this person to begin with. So uh, I've taken matters into my hand. For the moment, I've become God. Uh, and, and, and that's an extreme example. I mean, we can uh, uh, really the eighth commandment um, about uh, honoring your, uh, you know, uh, upholding your neighbor's reputation is probably a bigger issue for for most of us. Well, I want to dig into this a little bit more, but we need to take our break. We are studying the scriptural truth of love fulfilling the law, otherwise known as good works, from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession with Pastor Leonard Payton, and we'll be right back. Showing support for KFUO is now easier than ever. You can sport a KFUO shirt, swag, or even socks by visiting our online store. Go to kfuo.org slash store and order high-quality KFUO-branded merch. You no longer need to wait for our annual share for a chance to show your KFUO spirit. Visually share and wear this ministry out in the world by checking out our selection. Every purchase helps to support our proclamation of Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Go to kfuo.org slash store. Welcome back. We are studying the fifth article of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Love Fulfilling the Law, with Pastor Leonard Payton of St. John Lutheran Church in Forest Park, Illinois. 
So, Pastor, as we as we look at this, there's I mean, there's a lot of ground to cover. Reminder to our listeners, we're probably not going to get to all 37 paragraphs or numbers <laughs> today because there's a lot to cover. But don't be worried because we actually have seven studies on love fulfilling the law, which shows us once again about how when they proclaimed the truth, the scriptural truth of justification, it naturally brought up more questions about works. And so then when it talks about works being necessary, but not necessary for salvation, it brings up a whole slew of questions. And the questions of those days, guess what, are questions for us today. Pastor, anything else you want to highlight before we move on? No, let's move on. All right. We are number 11 on page 103. Christ was given for this purpose, that forgiveness of sins might be bestowed on us for his sake. He was given also, he was also given so that the Holy Spirit might bring forth in us new and eternal life and eternal righteousness. Therefore, the law cannot truly be kept unless the Holy Spirit is received through faith. So Paul says that the law is established through faith and not made useless because the law can only be kept when the Holy Spirit is given. Paul teaches. The veil that covered the face of Moses cannot be removed except by faith in Christ, which by the Holy Spirit is received, 2 Corinthians 3. For he says, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when no one, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, 2 Corinthians 3. Paul understands by the veil the human opinion about the entire law, the Ten Commandments, and the ceremonies. In other words, hypocrites think that outward and civil works satisfy God's law, and that sacrifices and observances justify a person before God by outward act, ex opere operato. But when then this veil is removed from us, i.e., we are freed from this error, error, excuse me, when God shows our hearts our uncleanness and hatefulness of sin, then for the first time, we see that we are far from fulfilling the law. We learn to know how flesh is self-secure and doesn't care. It does not fear God and is not completely certain that we are cared for by God and imagines that people are born and die by chance. Then we experience that we do not believe that God forgives and hears us. But when we hear about the gospel and the forgiveness of sins, we are consoled through faith. We receive the Holy Spirit so that now we are able to think correctly about God, to fear and believe God, and so on. From these facts, it is clear that the law cannot be kept without Christ and the Holy Spirit. I want to stop there, Pastor, because one, one something I want to touch on for sure is here this section speaks about the Holy Spirit quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And speaking about misperceptions and culture, we have the heart and we have um, love, but also the Holy Spirit can be misunderstood. So as he speaks about the Holy Spirit, tell us about that in relation to good works. Right. Well, he's, he, he points out here that, uh, I mean, if I could bring this into our time here, uh, you could have uh, two identical twins driving identical cars down the interstate um, both having flat tires on their left rear tire and immediately two identical twins pull up behind them and one of them repairs the front tire and the other one repairs the back tire and the one in the front is one who 
uh, believes and trusts in Jesus and has been baptized into him. And the one in the back does not believe in Jesus and does, has not been baptized into him. And what's, what's going on is that the, 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 the Holy Spirit has moved the one in the front to, to change that tire, but not the one in the back. And, and so the work looks identical, but the way God sees it is completely different. Um, the movement of the heart has been done by the Holy Spirit in the case of the front twin, but not in the case of the, the, the back twin. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And that is a wonderful way to look at it because as it speaks here about civil works, we can get caught as Christian people to say, that person is outside the faith. And someone will say, well, but they're still a really good person. They volunteer. They're nice to me. They, we have a barbecue at their house, those kind of things. And, and the, sometimes we make that sound like, oh, okay, so then they're a good person. And we almost, we really skirt this issue at times where we make it sound like, well, then they're okay apart from the blood of Christ. <laughs> and that's not true, as you mentioned that. And that's very clear in this section. Any other concerns you have as we look in our world today, that, that important distinction that you just made and why that's important for people? Yeah, you know, uh, I'm glad you brought up that business of, of you know, these people do all these good things. They, you know, they, they come to our barbecue and they, you know, they, they, they make quilts or whatever. I, I know you, you fill in the blank, but it, it's, it's fascinating to me how easy it is even for Lutherans to fall into that because that's just the old Roman Catholic error all the way. And basically what's happening is we're taking the place of God and voting them into heaven on the basis of their works on the basis of how they, re how they relate horizontally to one another, but this doesn't even remotely touch how we relate to God. So it's an, it's an absolute failure again uh, of, of uh, fulfilling the, uh, especially the first commandment, but really the first table. Anything else you want to highlight in uh, 11 through 14? Um, uh, yeah, uh, let's look at uh, right there in the middle of, we learn to know how flesh is self-secure and doesn't care. Uh, it does not fear God and is not completely certain that we are cared for by God. Um, the, 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 law, the, the law really forces this issue for us. The, our, our, our failure of works, if you will, forces this. Uh, because, see, what happens is... Uh, Left to our own devices, we become our own lawgiver, and we write a law that we find that we can fulfill. And then we check it off. We say, see, I'm a good person. But then when we hear the law of God that we didn't write, uh, then, th then it's a, a huge diagnostic tool and shows us something completely different. And, and as you say that, is this a reminder for us that the more we try to find security, as it says, flesh, old Adam, our works, the more insecure we become. And, and this was uh, uh, told to us a few weeks ago by Pastor Mark Bestel. Hmm. And Pastor Mark Bestel made a comment where he said, justification by faith in Christ 
is the end of a terrified conscience, mm-hmm. which is just phenomenal. It's the beginning of loving others, you right. know, and that connects beautifully to what we have today. But it's the end of a terrified conscience. And so I, d- I hear that all throughout. I'm kind of shocked that Melanchthon didn't write conscience somewhere in these few uh, sentences, actually. Um, but when you talk about self secure and doesn't care, it does not fear God, is not completely certain that we are cared for by God, is this understanding of the more we look in, the more we will not sure if God actually loves us. But the more we look at the cross, how could you not look at the cross? And, and you know, the, the common, I think it was Bill Swirla, Pastor Bill Swirla once told me, he said, look at the cross, and is there any sin he did not die for? And and that's just that full assurance of why are we asking all these questions about, you know, is this a sin? Is this not a sin? No, repent, move forward, and and love others. I mean, repent and receive forgiveness, excuse me, um, and and love others because of this love that you see there on the cross. And right. and that is so, I mean, that just comes out. And then once again, he keeps going back to justification. So, Pastor, anything else you want to talk about that? And, and yeah, uh, I- I, I do. I do want to take a big, you know, get up at the 30,000 foot level for a moment on that subject of terrified consciences, uh, because uh, when you read the book of Concord cover to cover, uh, it, 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 it is the solution to that problem. That's the problem for what it's, for which it's written. Um, and, and yet the world in which we live, I think is a world of anesthetized consciences. I think most of the people around us do not have terrified consciences and, 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 and can, and don't hear the law of God and it doesn't terrify them. But what's happened now, and so this, I think this is a really big point here. Um, the, the world's not a happy place and, and the measures of, of human well-being are not great right now. And all you need to do is look at the amount of, 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 of psychotherapy and psychotherapeutic drugs that people consume and the amount of uh, entertainment that people consume. It's not a happy place. But, so what's gone on now is that we have become our own law writer and lawgiver, and we're living by that, but it's not going well because it's not the good law that corresponds to the world that God made. Um, and, and so really we're in a place where uh, we dearly want the Holy Spirit to wake up consciences so they can hear the law of God and, 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 and actually be terrified for a moment and then find that the gospel uh, brings complete relief and that there really is a much better life than the one that we've designed for ourselves that is a gift from God. I want to say, I want to highlight a conversation I remember having once with a a person who is a pastor of a, a liberal church body. Mm-hmm. And the conversation that was being had with a group of us was about sexual morality yeah, and about other um, subjects of theology. And throughout the conversation, it was very clear that the law that is very clearly and, and, and instructions from the Lord were being ignored. Like, no, that's not what it really says. This is not where it really is. And in the midst of this, one of our friends, one of my friends, used a word that is kind of acceptable in culture, but not quite like, I would say, not always used in church, but it, you know, all this. And this liberal pastor got really upset. And somebody else said, so that law that you have, 
you can't say that is more offensive to you than what the Ten Commandments say. And I think that captures for us how we tend to make in our hearts our own laws to show, okay, that's what God's word says, but that's not really what it means for today. And then we make up some other law that says you can't use X word. Now, just so our listeners know, I'm not I'm not condoning any kind of language that's not acceptable in culture. There's obviously God-pleasing words and non-pleasing words, but that's not the sixth commandment. And so if you're really upset that this person said this word, but yet you're not upset about the sixth commandment, um, that the scriptures very clearly say, then we have a problem. And it is really, uh, uh, we always talk about the heart being an idol factory. We're a law factory as well, making up our own laws to whatever yes. we want them to be. So yes. I think that really captures this good works understanding to say, well, that's a good law because I just said it is, or good work. When we're losing the good works that God has plainly put in front of us. And when we're doing that whole thing, then we you know, then we are missing the gospel altogether because all of a sudden we're like, oh, you know, make up our own stuff. So then all of a sudden what's next? The gospel is made up to whatever we want it to be. Any thoughts? In the gospel, the gospel as we have it in Holy scriptures is not a very satisfying response to law that we've written. Mm -hmm. It just isn't, you know, to, 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 to look back to the point that you just made there, um, that, uh, say on the sixth commandment, for example, uh, you shall not commit adultery. Um, you know, if I love my neighbor, I don't want my neighbor to experience a sexually transmitted disease. It's just that simple. And, and indeed, if we, if we kept the sixth commandment, sexually transmitted diseases would go extinct in one generation. They'd just go away. And uh, wouldn't that be a better world? Uh, well, that's the world the Lord designed. Um, and of course, our, our sinful nature achieves at that. And so we, we perpetuate these kind of endemic diseases and, and, and endemic psychological diseases as well. We're just not very good at being God. <laughs> we don't do it very well. <laughs> Which once again, I keep hitting this, goes back to when you when we were reading the preface of the small catechism that we got done with that program. We went right to the first commandment and you know what? We've never really gotten the first commandment quite yet. So you know what, when we're done with the apology, I might have to have you back on and let's do the preface again, to the small catechism, see if we can do better. Anyways, uh, let's go ahead. We're still on page one Oh three. We're at number 15. We can, we profess that the work of the law must be begun in us and that it must be kept continually more and more. At the same time, we also speak about both spiritual movements and outward good works. Therefore, the adversaries falsely charge that our theologians do not teach good works. They not only require good works, but they also show how they can be done. The results convicts the hypocrites who by their own powers try to fulfill the law. For they cannot do the things they attempt. Human nature is far too weak to resist the devil by his own powers. He holds as captive everyone who has not been freed from faith. There is need for Christ's power against the devil, for we know that for Christ's sake we are heard and have the promise. We may pray for the governance and defense of the Holy Spirit, that we may neither be deceived by error nor be pushed to do anything against God's will. Psalm 68.18 teaches this very thing. 
you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men. Christ has overcome the devil and has given to us the promise and the Holy Spirit, in order that by divine aid we ourselves may overcome. So 1 John 3 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Again, we teach not only how the law can be kept, but also how God is pleased if anything is done. This is not because we satisfy the law, but because we are in Christ, as we shall explain shortly. Therefore, it is quite clear, quite, it is clear excuse me, that we require good works. In fact, we also say this, Our love for God, even though it is small, cannot possibly be separated from faith. For we come to the Father through Christ. When forgiveness of sins has been received, then we are truly certain that we have a God, that is, that God cares for us. We call upon him and give thanks. We fear him, we love him, as 1 John 4.19 teaches. We love because he first loved us. In other words, we love him because he gave his son for us and forgives us our sins. In this way, John shows that faith comes first and love follows. Likewise, the faith of which we speak exists in repentance. I mean that faith is conceived in the terrors of conscience, which feels God's wrath against our sins and seeks forgiveness of sins, seeks to be freed from sin. In such terrors and other troubles, this faith ought to grow and be strengthened. Therefore, it cannot exist in people who live by the flesh, who are delighted by their own lusts and obey them. So Paul says in Romans 8, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So too, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you are put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul is writing about faith that receives forgiveness of sins in a terrified heart and flees from sin. Such faith does not remain in those who obey their desires, neither does it dwell with mortal sin. So, Pastor, it, 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 I felt like it was a roller coaster on that one. Yes, um, it is. Because he speaks about how um, we, can, uh, we can fulfill the law and God is pleased with what we do, but it does not mean we satisfy the law. So this, I mean, that, those, that, that's a fine line that we need to make sure we're crystal clear on. Can you clarify that for us? Well, yeah, let's start with this. Uh, when Jesus taught us to pray, he said this, pray like this, our father. All right. Now, uh, Pastor Fennern, you're a father. I'm a father, my grandfather. Nice. And, uh, you know, I've always been happy when my kids do what I tell them to do. It always makes me happy. It doesn't make them my kids. They were already my kids. Hmm. And, and that's, that's the difference uh, be, between uh, justification and love as uh, AKA works. They love, they, they do the works because they're my kids. They're not my kids because they do the works. Um, can, can you say that again? I, I'm okay. trying to write that down. That is a wonderful, okay. um, about your kids. They do the works because they're my kids. 
they're not my kids because they do the works. Uh, let me extend that out a little further. Uh, let's say you go into Walmart and um, there's, there's a little family with a shopping cart and there's an unruly kid who is absolutely dishonoring his mother. And you're watching this and you're, you're, you're just, you, you know that the fourth commandment is just being broken continuously by this kid in the aisle in Walmart. But that kid's not your kid, not yours to discipline. And so you don't, you don't, you don't deal with that kid's works. That's that mother or that father's to do. That child belongs to them and they belong to him. The relationship already exists before the works, one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love this, this wording here on number 20. Mm-hmm. Our love for God, even though it is small, cannot possibly be separated from faith. Mm-hmm. He just, he, he has this very articulate, and yeah. he crafts these this language to remind us of who we are and who God is. <laughs> and also the power of faith that comes from God anyways, as we talk about the Holy Spirit. It's a gift from God anyways. Mm-hmm. So just these little snippets throughout. I wanted to highlight that just to remind you, our listeners, when we talk about this is, these good works are, you know, as it talked about Matthew 5, that they may see your good works and glorify their Father in heaven. This is not about us. I mean, the good works, ultimately, we're going to go through seven studies of this, and it's still going to be about Jesus, <laughs> because that's what it's all about. Pastor, any thoughts, anything else on on this longer um, portion that I read? Oh, yeah, there, there was some. Where did it just slip my mind? Let me think about that for a moment more. So that's now, back go, to it. We'll we back. got it. Okay. All right. Very good. Anything oh, else? Oh, 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 oh yeah. Um, look, look down at the end of 23. Mm-hmm. This is probably, oh, oh, I know what it is, but I'm going to cover the end of 23 in a moment. Um, but it comes back around to that question about Lutherans and good works. And do we teach good works and are they necessary and on and on. I, I just simply want to point out that in our small catechism, and, and note the adjective, small. This is just a little tiny manual of what the Christian life is. This is what we believe and this is what we do. Uh, the fourth section is a table of duties. This is things that you're called to do. So, so it's, it's not that we, uh, and, and they have to do with uh, your various stations in life. If you're, a, if you're an employee, if, if, you, if, if you work for Aldi, and, and, and your boss tells you, I need you to put the canned carrots on the shelf, you do it. That's your duty. You're called to do it, and you do it, and it's good, and everyone thrives because you do it. The customer comes along looking for carrots, and there are carrots there. You have loved your neighbor. Now, end of 23, uh, uh, and I, I think this is, uh, we just need to catch this before we move on. Such faith does not remain in those who obey their desires, neither does it dwell with mortal sin. You know, um, this is a, this is a, 
an expression of what we might call antinomianism. Hmm. It doesn't matter what I do. Jesus will love me anyway. Hmm. Paul asked the rhetorical question in Romans chapter 6, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You know, if you're alive, live. Do, do the things that you were given to do, the good works that were prepared for you before, beforehand, as Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 said. Don't, don't, don't entertain this fantasy that, uh, uh, you know, I was baptized into Christ, and so now I can just do what I want, and, and grace will come. Well, no, you can actually you can kill your faith. You really care. And on that note, I would encourage our listeners, one, to go to your small catechism and look at the table of duties. Also, we had a, just an outstanding uh, uh, study with Dr. Mark Thompson from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis on the table of duties. And he, he called the table of responsibilities as a baptized child of God. Of course, you couldn't put that whole list on the small catechism. That's a large catechism title. But anyways, um, but, you know, just as simplistic, I remember him speaking about this is, when it says something like to parents, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. If any father, obviously mothers too, but any fathers, like, is that it? Has not tried to teach the faith to their children. <laughs> so, so before we start thinking these grandiose ideas of good works, go back to the basics and you yeah. realize that right there is enough. That's enough for me today. That's enough for me, you know, for as long as my children are with me. And even when they're adults, you know, that's, that's enough. I think that's enough. I'll just try to get that one accomplished. And the Lord helped me do it. Pastor, any other thoughts there? Um, many, many, but let's move on. <laughs> All right. We're going to read here 24 to 25 as we're getting close to the end of our time. Mm -hmm. um, page 105, excuse me. From these effects of faith, the adversaries select one, namely love, and teach that love justifies. It is clear that they only teach the law. They do not teach that forgiveness of sins is first received through faith. They do not teach about Christ as mediator, that we have a gracious God for Christ's sake, but for the sake of our love. Yet they do not say what the nature of this love is, neither can they say. They proclaim that they fulfill the law, although this glory belongs to Christ alone. They set up confidence in their own works against God's judgment, for they say that they merit according to righteousness, grace, and eternal life. This confidence is absolutely ungodly and useless, for in this life we cannot satisfy the law, because the sinful nature does not stop bringing forth evil inclination and desire, even though the Spirit in us resists them. Two things here, Pastor. We have about three minutes left in our time. We also, I didn't read the Latin term there because I know you could say it better. How do you want to bring us home here in this last section? Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, three minutes. Let's <laughs> blast through this carefully. First of all, um, there's that word de condigno or condigne grace. It, it really has to do with treating God as though he's a bookkeeper. And and uh, and we do works in the... Uh, uh, fourth through the 10th commandment real well. And if we do them well, we get an excess of them. Um, and, and, and then we're rewarded because we have faith in Christ and these then are in abundance. Um, but, but let's, uh, and God isn't that way. You, you know, we aren't that way in family relationships. We don't, that kind of 
of spreadsheet. We're, we're related. And so we love because we're related. Um, can, can I jump ahead in our, I, I just want to make Please. sure that, and this is for the benefit of the, re, of the listeners. Um, I'd encourage everyone to go ahead and read points uh, 30 through, well, through the end. In particular, the whole argument about uh, the woman who came in on Jesus when Jesus was at a Pharisee's house for a dinner, and this is in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, it would be really good to read that, read Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50 carefully, and then go and read how Melanchthon works that through, because it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. It, it, it's a lesson in how to read the Holy Scriptures well, um, and and to see that 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 really the goal of the Holy Scriptures is to get you to Jesus through uh, through His grace and through justification, and 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 not to uh, to leave you swimming around in your inadequate works. Pastor, thirty seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, how would you summarize our time and encourage our listeners in Christ? Um, Jesus did it all. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might be uh, the righteousness of God. You know, we, we have been freed. Uh, we have this relationship to him. He's justified us. We do the good works because he loved us first. The Reverend Dr. Leonard Payton of St. John Lutheran Church in Forest Park, Illinois, clearly confessing the truth of love fulfilling the law from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Pastor Payton, thank you for being our guest and starting us off on the right foot. Pastor Fennern, good to catch up with you. <laughs> I'm your host, Pastor Brady Fennern. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.